Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exists to Equip the Church to be hearers and doers of the Word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I am the Senior Pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morton, the Associate Pastor at NBC. And I'm Alex, the Corporate Ministry Director at that same church. And uh, this is another another installment, the final installment, in uh, our Elements of a Church Service series that we've been working on for a few weeks. And today we're going to talk about uh, some of the, the elements that don't take place on a weekly basis, but are still very much a part of our church worship. Uh, mostly, mostly talking about the ordinances, but let's kick it off talking about baby dedications, because this is kind of a tricky thing. I... Uh, <clears throat> to be fair, we, the Gospel Coalition Canada carries uh, our podcast, and and there have been uh, shots fired on TGC Canada back and forth about yep. this sort of thing. Yep. Uh, it's it's the kind of thing that we can disagree on and still be brothers and sisters, uh, and and so it it really comes down to uh, the discernment of that particular church and how they practice it. the The main thing. The main thing amongst Baptist churches when it comes to baby dedications is they don't want to confuse people. Yeah. Right? They don't want to confuse people and cause them to think that, oh, well, your mainline or CRC, uh, we're sort of walking that line. Right? Um, I feel like that's something that we kind of go out of our way to dodge. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, you can... When, when you're doing a baby dedication, you can make it abundantly clear that this is not a, you know, scripturally prescribed ordinance, right? Because I think right. that for me, mm-hmm. that's the thing, right? Like we're talking about something that is not, you know, is not laid out uh, biblically um, in the same way that baptism and the Lord's Supper is, right? So, um, you know, some people will say those who, who subscribe to a kind of a stricter um, stricter sense of the, the regulative principle of worship will say it's not explicitly later in the Bible. Therefore it's wrong. Um, right. But it doesn't, I guess with, within our understanding, we're saying, okay, this is something that might not be laid out explicitly in scripture, but the idea of the church coming around a family with a new child and committing themselves to supporting that family and the raising of their child and those parents, you know, committing themselves to the church to say, we are going to raise this child in the faith um, to the best of our ability. That is a good and godly thing. So, but it's not scripturally prescribed baptism, right? So I think that's the distinction that we have to make sure people, people understand. Yeah. And I would say that I'm, I'm pretty on board with a lot of regulative things. I I kind of, in, in, as I do in a lot of areas, right. Where, you know, maybe maybe I have charismatic friends that'd be like, "Oh no, you're definitely the regulative guy," uh, and then and then you might have some really hardcore regulative guys, right? The sort of uh, maybe full on nine marks guys that are like, "Absolutely, you're not." Uh, and and so, I I don't want to say that it's a biblical mandate. It's it's one hundred percent not. It's not an ordinance. Yeah. Um, but when you look at at the Old Testament law. The idea of bringing a child and family to the temple to dedicate them before the priest was a practice. I don't, I don't think there's discussion about that in the New Testament. 
But I think in a lot of ways, there's good from that that can carry over into a new covenant. And so this is, this is how we do it, right? Because a lot of times what happens is this, sort of in line with what you said, Marshall, people will do this. They'll say, we want everyone to know that this is not about a baby dedication that is a pseudo pedobaptismal practice. Um, and so we're going to tell you that this is not baptism. And then it is everything a baptism for a baby would be minus water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of like a dry version of a baby baptism. And, and I think when people argue that that is confusing, mm. I would say maybe there's something to that. Maybe right. there's something to be uh, considered in that. But what we do is, is we go out of our way to not, re- we don't talk much about the baby. Right. We, we talk about the family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, uh, I, I bring the parents and their baby forward. And the first thing I tell the parents is, you want to be a good parent, you have to look after your own devotional life. Mm. How is your devotional life, your walk with God? Mm-hmm. Cling to that and take good care of that. Yeah. Um, then I tell them, you have to be looking after your marriage. You cannot do a great job raising your child if your marriage is constantly in strain and you're not taking care of your marriage. So take care of your spiritual walk, take care of your marriage, and then take care of your child. And then what I, then after I've spoken to the family in that, I pray for the family. And then I address the church to say, as this family seeks to work on their own devotional strength, work on the strength of their marriage, and raise up their children to understand what it means to participate in worship of the church and to be taught, surrounded by people in the church, they have come to us because we are their church family. Mm. They've come to us asking us to come alongside them and to be those things, to be that community for them. And then in recognition of the family calling on the church to support them, we ask the church to stand and we pray uh, for the church that we would be a people specifically saying, not only do I recognize that there's one more kid in the nursery than there was before, but that this is a significant thing and I'm going to uh, acknowledge this family, not just in this moment, but in such a way that I would pray to God, God, give me opportunity and wisdom Mm -hmm. to come around this family and this child where I have opportunity to contribute to their upbringing. Right. Um, right. And I think that's way better than not acknowledging the birth of a baby as a, a spiritual obligation. I think maybe that goes back to the stewardship episode that we did. Sure. Where we talk about the importance of stewardship is, uh, is also the raising up of our children and our children's ministry. Um, and this is sort of like the initiation, like this kid coming into that. Um, and so for us, maybe the, maybe the most confusing thing, if, if somebody wanted to point out confusion in the MVC model, maybe the confusion would be that we call it baby dedication at all. Mm. Maybe family dedication is more what we're doing. 
parent commissioning or <laughs> whatever you want commissioning to commissioning of parents. Here's yeah, a it's question for you. I have a question yeah. related to this though. So, um, so let's say, because I don't know if we've actually come into this at least since you've been on board um, at NBC. But if a family says, you know what, we're not sure about the whole ba- baby dedication thing because of whatever their their convictions are that they don't feel it's necessary, is that? problematic for you if they would just if they were to say we appreciate the model that you guys do here but it's we're we're not going to participate is that well like how would you respond to to something like that yeah good question so uh because our uh our portion of that is to say to the church this family has come to us and publicly asked us to come alongside them for their own devotional strength and for the teaching and raising up of their child in the Lord. Hmm. If the family doesn't come to me, then I can't say that. Right. True. Okay. So if the family doesn't come to me, I just don't do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I, I don't do that unless the family comes and says, Hey, this is something I would like to have done. Yeah. Um, so it's not an obstacle point. to membership or serving another. Oh membership. no, no, because at that point it would at that point it would be an ordinance. Exactly. I know that that's right. kind of that's kind of what I wanted to to flesh mm-hmm. out. Yeah. We we spend a lot of time talking about why things don't belong in worship and why we keep things separate outside of our worship package and and stuff. This is something that I think is special in that it is mm-hmm. not prescribed worship, um, but it has an element of community to it that emphasizes the church body as a family. And we don't tend to have a lot of that in our services. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it belongs in our worship because it emphasizes and calls our community to closer brotherhood and sisterhood um, in a way that our music doesn't often, in a way that our preaching doesn't often really point towards. Um, I, I think it really belongs in our worship almost solely for that reason. Yeah. And we don't throw it to the front end to say like, this is a a thing done before we actually get down to the nitty gritty of it. We do it uh, in our community time. That is the the prayer for the community, Mm -hmm. right? We do the prayer for the community and then we isolate these people within the community um, who have this special moment in their life that, that we want to address. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've had so many babies born this year. Yeah, we've had a lot. And we have, we have babies being born throughout COVID. we had one just a few We're going to have a lot of baby dedications. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, so this is something to, for, the, uh, for the future as well. Uh, so let's move on from that. Let's, let's talk about something that has been far less uh, controversial um, amongst reform circles. Let's talk about baptism. <laughs> something that no one has ever divided over. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, so now we get into the ordinances, right? What but, what some will call sacraments, but what we Yeah, explain to us what an ordinance is. What's an ordinance and what's the difference between You know, to be honest with you, I feel a little bit so uh the Doctrine and Devotion podcast we all sort of listen to. It's almost required reading uh amongst our staff. <laughs> uh, and and it just so happens that they are working through not the same series, but the series that they're doing has landed in this exact same place just a week ahead of us. So I feel like we're just rehashing what they've already done. Uh, but explain to us the difference. Uh, what is an ordinance and why, is, why do we not use the word sacrament? Is that putting you on the spot? 
it's putting me on the spot a bit, but you can tell me I'm wrong because I know you love to do that. <laughs> so, okay. So here's what you I think be. it is. Okay. Here's what I think it is. So, um, an ordinance, uh, is something that is prescribed by Christ, right? As right. the lawgiver, as something that we are to practice as the church, right? As believers, we are, we're called to follow, um, follow Christ's example, but he explicitly laid out, explicitly laid out, um, that baptism and the Lord's supper are things that we are to uh, participate in. These are, these are outward symbols of an inward change. The idea of sacrament is a little bit different because it, uh, it kind of alludes to the fact that doing these things makes us holy so that in, in the actual physical act, we, we are, we are getting an additional dose of right. from God yeah. rather than this is simply an act of obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's. No, I, I would say, I would say you nailed it. Right. So an ordinance is something that we're ordered to do. Yeah. Um, it's a ceremony that we're, we're ordered to perform. Uh, and, and a sacrament has with it so much weight of this is a distribution of grace that it becomes really problematic. And so uh, baptism being a distribution of grace. Without this, there is no grace, right? And so a lot of like the, the Catholic church, a lot of the mainline churches will follow us when we say baptism is the ordinance of initiation and the Lord's Supper is the ordinance of continuation. They would say 100%. Uh, but they would say it to a degree that baptism is where the holy spirit comes upon you and without baptism there is no holy spirit or inward change you are not a christian yeah right now the reformed cato uh, baptist churches wouldn't say that per se they have a right. they have a more nuanced kind of explanation for their for their stance but yeah they're in the right. catholic yeah. circles yeah that's the that's catholic right. circles right yeah. uh and when we say that the ordinance of continuation is us as corporately around the table restating our commitment to continue in the work that God has done for us. Mm. Sort of uh, re-announcing our baptism, however often it is we go about taking the Lord's Supper. Mm. They would say that that is a topping up of grace where it has run low. And, and there's, there's some who would push back on that and they would say, no, 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 that's, that's not what we're saying. But here's the thing. If a priest can withhold from you communion in such a way that he would also be withholding from you grace that would allow you to continue in the favor of God, then he sees that as the distribution of grace, right? And for that, and a couple of other reasons, mm-hmm. we have the theses of Martin Luther uh, pinned to the church door and the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is, there is something very gracious in what we do in the Lord's Supper, uh, but it is not a distribution of grace. So before we get into the Lord's Supper, because I feel myself wanting to wander there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, come back, let's come back to baptism. Uh, one thing that we that we do with baptism that I don't like, but I don't know another way to do it is we do it at the very front end, right? So we talked that we like to order our services in such a way that we have these sort of celebrations and stuff with the communities, uh, 
thing at the beginning. And then we move into what is more a focused time of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I would love to see baptism be featured more as a f- focused time of worship. Mm. I, it doesn't not make sense in the sort of community celebration at the beginning. Uh, but to be frank, like you kind of have to do it because I have to get dried off and back downstairs, right? I, I think the last time we, we did baptism, we had a, uh, a set of music and then we did the baptism and then we did another set of music that I normally would place later in the service. So that way you had time to come back down so you could get ready to preach. Um, but, but yeah, moving it down into the center of our worship package would kind of emphasize its importance. Mm. Um, too often baptism, and, and I know that churches I've been a part of have been faulted to, to this, is that it becomes part of community life in the same way announcements are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not not important, but it's a different level of kind of um, community life. <laughs> For, for lack of a better term, it's, it's a way of, of coming around this person who's professing their faith. Um, so for the church body to gather in a Sunday service to do this, it, it's different than just learning what women's ministry is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, technically it's an announcement. It's a divinely ordained announcement, right? <laughs> that we are ordered to follow in the, uh, the example of Christ and to, uh, to do this thing, uh, to announce the, uh, the salvation of, of a new believer. Uh, but yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe a little working it into the service a little bit deeper um, is, is a better way to go about it. Yeah. Hey, you know, one thing that just sort of struck me while we were talking about that, I've, I've been surprised at the number of people I've baptized over the last maybe 10 years who are church members and have been regularly attending Baptist churches mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah. But the de-emphasis on baptism is, I, I'm not going to say alarming. I mean, I, I'm not freaking out over it Mm. but the de-emphasis on baptism whatever happened just a few decades past Mm -hmm. is is troubling yeah the the good news at least for for mbc is is being believers baptism is a prerequisite for church membership so thankfully we don't have that issue um at, at our church but i do know that that's not necessarily um, mm-hmm. as strictly held in other congregations, whether Baptist or, or, or like-minded denominational groups. Um, but, but yeah, this, this de-emphasis of baptism is, is strange. And I think it, as, as to what the cause is, I'm not sure. I think in a lot of respects, you know, people point to, you know, the day and the time that they, they, you know, said the sinner's prayer as their, as that was the time that you know i identified with christ and and did that right this but that's a very personal thing and also a lot of people including myself i can't point to a moment i can't point right. to you know at 404 p.m on you know wednesday whatever like i can't i can't do that and so i think baptism really is that like baptism is baptism is that public profession of that inward work right and right 
but instead, yeah, it's been de-emphasized for, no, it was when I was at this conference and, or when I was at this, you know, youth retreat or whatever it was. Right. Um, but baptism is actually supposed to be that official public proclamation of your identification with the Lord. And, uh, and for whatever reason, yeah, it's been de-emphasized. I think also the, the other side of that coin, the other reason why, um, it's been de-emphasized is because people we we've, we've kind of adopted this idea that you have to reach this level of Christian maturity in your faith um, before you can be baptized. So yeah, you're a Christian. Yep. You believe the gospel. Yep. You're, you know, you're engaged in, in various groups and ministries and different things. Okay, sure. But you have to be, you have to get up to another level of Christianity before we'll let you get dunked. And that, again, I don't know where that comes from because I don't think that's biblical. Yeah. Well, I, I think I can speak to both of those uh, okay. with a little bit of church history. Um, since the 60s, 70s, uh, and up into the 90s, uh, there was a real problem in, in our circles with decisionism, mm. right? Um, so tent revivals going up, uh, decisionism is a thing. And, and decisionism is so thick and so common that we, we kind of stopped noticing the markers of it. But decisionism is, is just what it sounds like. It's the idea that uh, it, it's not about discipleship or growing in our faith, living out the Christian life. It's about, I made this decision one time, and so all is good. One of the number one reasons why people wrestle with the idea of can a person lose their salvation, because I've seen it happen so many times. I, I'm not to say that this is not to say that there aren't uh, cases standing outside of this, but the number one reason why this is such a thing is because decisionism is such a thing. Yeah. Because somebody, they say, you know, like, I was there uh, on that Thursday night at church camp because all emotional and spiritual things take place on Thursday night at church camp when kids are tired and they're, they're sunstroked. And they've been in this environment away from uh, a number of their temptations and influences for for a couple of days now, but they're like, I was there that Thursday night when they made this, this dedication and, and they announced at church that Sunday that they're never going to be the same. Uh, but now look what happened. What, what's going on? What's happened? Well, there is something to this that, that is a progress of sanctification. Mm. Although, although our salvation, our justification is an immediate thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so decisionism just said, Hey, we got them to say the prayer. Let's move on. Right. And that was, that's been a real problem in, uh, in our circles, Baptist circles for decades now that I think we're coming out of. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that that's a new problem because I think that goes into the deep historical issue of why, why they like the, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? You see, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? Yeah. Right. Why did we ever get to a place where we're like, well, you know what? I appreciate your confession of faith, but now what I need you to do is to go to this class, right? <laughs> Which we do, right? I'm not, say I'm not saying that mockingly. We do this, right? If somebody comes to me, they say, hey, I want to be baptized. I'm like, great. We're going to have four meetings. Uh, you can do it with a class or you can do it with me individually. Here's a book that you need to read uh, that, that our church wrote for this purpose and you're going to read this, we're going to discuss it, and then you're going to have an interview with a couple of elders. Uh, we're going to do this before you can be baptized because we want to be sure that uh, as sure as we can be, that you are not just like in a moment 
coming because I've had people to me come up to me and say, Hey, I want to be baptized. And I say to them, why do you want to be baptized? I just feel like that's what God wants me to do. Why do you feel like that's what God wants you to do? I don't know. No concept of what it means to be regenerated. Not, no concept of what it means to say, you know what? I've been rebelling from God, or rebelling against God and running from God. And now I want to end that. And I want to commit my life to God. Yeah. Like, even, even that much not present. Right. So there is a bit of weeding out. I, we were talking about before the show, right? Like Augustine went six years before he was allowed to be baptized. I think that's more than a master's divinity, right? That's, that's like a bit excessive, I think. Right. That's you can you can go from MDiv to PhD in that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking at, at higher education, I don't think you need that to be baptized. Uh, but there is some bit of vetting that needs to go sure. on. I mean, yeah. Alex, you grew up in the church. Were you baptized really young? Yeah. So I, I came to faith. I came to a saving understanding of Christ as, you know, a pre five-year-old, you know, as a definite child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know I was asked if I wanted to be baptized. Um, and I didn't understand what that meant. And now, now understanding that conversation as an adult with my dad, uh, that because I didn't understand what that meant, he withheld it from me. Right. Um, and, and it wasn't, wasn't until much later uh, as a teenager that I was baptized because then I came to have my own faith. And, and I don't know if that prayer as a child meant nothing because um, I think it did. But the idea that I understood what Jesus' sacrifice meant for me on the cross um, was the difference maker. And that was what then pushed me to get baptized mm. is that I had an understanding of what it meant, not just that I did a thing. Mm, right. Um, and, and in my case, that was because I was a child and I didn't have a mind to understand these things. Um, and, and then in evangelical circles, we've kind of stretched that out into adulthood mm-hmm. is that, you know, people who are capable of understanding what scripture has to say, decide not to get baptized. Um, yeah. And, and that's where a lot of that issue can come from. Yeah. So I, I kind of had the same experience. I was baptized at nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my friends that I grew up with got re-baptized mm-hmm. uh, because part of decisionism also comes with rededication, right. uh, which, is, which is really not a biblical thing, but it is, uh, it, it's almost a necessity inside of, uh, inside of decisionism. Um, and that's not to say that I grew up in a decisionistic church per se. Uh, but it was, it was just so much a part of the, the environment in the eighties and the early late eighties, early nineties. Uh, and so did you see a lot of people getting sort of rebaptized who took that early baptism and then later went, Hey, you know what? I didn't really understand what this was all about. And now I do. Um, so I'm going to declare my own baptism null and void. <laughs> I had, I had a pastor who had a very similar approach to us in that, um, it was, it was very much about the understanding of what it really meant. And mm-hmm. for his own daughter, um, I think she was baptized at 11, but she got up in front of the church and was able to passionately explain that Jesus died for her on the cross and that it calls for her to be baptized, mm-hmm. um, in a way that clearly wasn't too terribly rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so his marker wasn't necessarily age. It was understanding and 
there were plenty of adults baptized in that church and there are plenty of children baptized in that church. Um, but it was all this marker of, of understanding. So yeah. I, I have a rebat. So I, yeah, all a bunch of people are going to, our reform friends are going to call me an Anabaptist after this. Cause I was, I was one of those rebaptized, but here's my defense. Uh, I was baptized at must've been like eight or nine years old. Um, at a church that I wouldn't necessarily call a church, a uh, hyper charismatic word of faith cult, really, I would say like, this isn't your kind of run of the mill charismatic church. This was, this was pretty wacky stuff. And they just lined up like a ton of us who weren't baptized. I was one of like 50 who got baptized <laughs> that day. No profession of faith. No, no interview. Crank no, up the dunk train. No. Yeah, it was, it literally was. So that happened. Um, and it was kind of like, I think my mom was kind of pressured into me being added to that group because within that organization, there was a lot of like, you know, there was a lot of political stuff of, of, of you know, where you were on the pecking order, depending on how involved your family was. And so anyway, so I went off, I ended up going off the deep end in high school and college and whatnot. So when I came to a saving faith, I'd say I was 20 years old. And so then I was baptized. I, I would say that was the only true baptism for me. Um, but I know there's a lot of people who'd be like, no, 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 no. You were already baptized in the name of, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you did a wrong thing by, I don't know. But my, my, my conscience is clean there, just based on, on the, yeah. the context for which my first baptism happened. Or not, I wouldn't even call it a baptism. I got wet in a wacky church. That's what happened. So Yeah, <laughs> and I, I wouldn't argue that anyone who was baptized a second time and later on in life because they they came to a greater understanding has reason to have that bear on their conscience i i wouldn't say that at all for me for me it kind of went like this right like i i watched that all taking place and and i remember being at church camp probably on a thursday night (laughs) and uh and watching like these just swarms of people that were going forward and and sort of feeling this conviction of of understanding the weight of the gospel and what it means that christ died as the substitute for my sin um and and in that praying to say you know god i know that i've already made a commitment to you and i don't believe that i understood fully what that meant and i understand more now god i i I don't I don't think it's right for me to go forward at this point, mm. even though the emotion is calling me that direction or to be baptized again at that point. I kind of feel like I'm always going to be learning more about what it means that Christ would die for my sin, mm. right? That the intimacy of that knowledge is always going to be growing and maturing. And so, so God, and I, I even prayed this, I even said, whether it was all those years ago, or whether it's this moment, whatever happens to be the case, I am I am yours and committed to you. Continue to grow me in you, um, and so so that's why I I never did the second time thing. And then all of that was uh, confirmed for me when Jars of Clay uh, put out the this oh, man I can't even remember the song, but the song uh, talks about. Uh, the little girl who thanks God for the daisies and the roses in her own simple language, but someday she'll understand the meaning of it all. Mm. Right. Uh, help me out here, Alex. 
Um, I know the song. I don't know the title. I can think of the. Oh, someone Google it, it really quickly. Uh, but anyway, anyway, while uh, like th- that song's just sort of landed on me, and I used that a lot as a youth, when I was a youth pastor, just to be like, no, this is this is what maturation feels like, not necessarily salvation, while at the same time being very open to the fact that the person might not have been regenerated at the beginning, but but to just say, hey, this could be. A, a true salvation for you, whereas other things weren't. It, it might also be maturation. Let's flush that out in discipleship mm-hmm. and not in a momentary decision kind of thing, right? And that discipleship doesn't need to be long. It's not, it's not a complicated conversation. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It needs to be in-depth enough that you can have a full understanding, but not so, so prolonged as to not call Not six it, years. Yeah, yeah, not six, not six years. Even, even more than a couple months, I think it might be, might be excessive. Um, mm-hmm. But that discipleship has to continue beyond the baptism. Well, yeah, he he means towards the no, end. I know, of baptism. I know. But yeah. but 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 it, tied into this is mm-hmm. it's for there's a lot of people that that for them they might go through the class or meeting right. with the pastor, get baptized, and then then that's it right right then they're not they're not partnered up with a more mature believer they're not connected with a small group necessarily right and so like just because you've you've reached a point where it's like okay cool we feel comfortable baptizing you right doesn't doesn't mean that they know everything they have they have to Mm -hmm. know necessarily right so that's a whole yeah uh, yeah, other thing but uh it was love song for a savior love song for a savior that's right uh, and so beyond that with baptism, um, we, we baptizo our people. We immerse uh, them. Immersed to yep. dunk, to dip yep. repeatedly in an effort to clean. Yep. Uh, <laughs> those, those kinds of things. Yep. If I was going to throw a bone to other modes, I would say washing is uh, something that is, is also considered uh, in baptizo. But I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think Jesus came up out of the water. Yeah, and, and well, and it says that you know John the Baptist had chosen the place where he was baptizing people because there was plentiful amount of water there, right? So if you yeah. just had to sprinkle or pour on somebody, you wouldn't need a plentiful amount of water. You could use a bucket, right? So, yeah. um, and not not pretending like this is this is the platform where we are going to give the definitive answer for baptism that will forever bring an end to the conversation in Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Seems like because, that for us That's because <laughs> you would need more than four listeners. to do that right (laughs) uh so but but just to say part of what we're doing is saying this is what we do and why we do it right uh so communion the lord's supper also an ordinance yep not a sacrament nope the ordinance of continuation sometimes people get a little bit out of shape when we talk about it about fencing the table to be fair i think i fence the table pretty lightly you do. you do. I think this is another one of those areas where, where I have friends on both sides would be like, whoa, you fenced the table at all. And I have friends that would be like, you are supposed to say, if you've not been baptized, you are eating and drinking shame upon yourself, yeah. according to 1 Corinthians yeah. chapter 11. And, and by um, fenced, you mean that you are either preventing or, or allowing people to come take communion, right? right? Just in, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, so some, some go so far as, uh, and even in our communities, closed communion, right? If you're not a member of this church, then we don't know whether or not uh, you've been baptized or what your relationship with God is like, whether or not you have a, a reason to be continuing to proclaim this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're not a member, don't take uh, yeah. just as a sort of clean rule. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't buy this so much. I don't know what's going on in the lives of every member. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't feel the need to fence in such a way yeah. as that. I think, I think it should be the conscience of the believer. The Holy Spirit is at work within, within them as well. Mm-hmm. And so we fence it so much as to, we talk about the ordinances, the two ordinances. We talk about the, uh, the idea of initiation and continuation. But gentlemen, to be fair, you, how do you continue something you've not initiated? Yeah. Now, this is going to, like, I'm going to guess that there are gonna, might be a few people who hear this who might be a little taken aback. Um, yeah. And at first, when I first kind of read into this, I was a bit taken aback and I've heard people kind of respond the same way saying, well, hey, when I was little, my mom or my dad, who were godly people, allowed me to take communion and I hadn't been baptized yet. Are you saying mm-hmm. that they were in sin? Are you saying that they were wrong? Are you saying, and, and so people can get really defensive because that wasn't their experience, Right. right. Um, I remember taking communion from a very young age, long before yeah. I was baptiz- baptized, right? Like, and, and I don't like, I'm not angry at my dad for that. I just don't think that he actually, if you, if you actually just pause and take some time to, to read into it and to reflect on what is baptism representing, you know, what is the Lord's supper representing where to, how do they fit into the life of a believer? if you just kind of breathe and think it through, you'll understand what we're getting at here. That, that, that one naturally comes before the other. It's, it's right. It, it just takes some time to just kind of separate yourself from what you might have experienced personally and just look at the scriptures and just think through what these things mean. And right. on the question is, uh, are, were they wrong and are they, did they sin to do it? I would say wrong. Yes. And no. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, I, I, I would say it's, it's, it's not the biblical understanding of what communion is for, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call it sin. In, in following the passage that we use for uh, communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, mm-hmm. when he goes on to talk about eating and drinking condemnation upon yourself, mm-hmm. he's not talking about a kid who took communion before they were baptized. No. That's he's, not not talking, he's not talking about an adult who took communion before they were baptized, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's talking about the church who is corporately gathered and, mm-hmm. and practicing communion in such a way that it is uh, revelry yeah, and not, uh, not ceremonial, mm-hmm. not and, reverent. And, and in this whole idea of examining oneself, right? Interpreting mm-hmm. what it is that these, these symbols mean and the bread and the cup. What, what do they signify? What do they represent? Why is it important for me to participate in this communi- community meal of the Lord's Supper? If you understand that, then I would say you understand enough to be baptized, right? So, so if, if, you're, if you're someone who's saying like, yeah, I, I feel comfortable taking communion because I know what that means. I, I, I am, I am, I'm 100% okay with identifying myself with, with what is involved and what is going on here. I affirm the things that are being affirmed as we partake of the elements together. I would say, come talk to us and get baptized because you probably, because if, if you haven't already been baptized, you, you probably 
understand the gospel to a satisfactory degree for us to, to give you that initial ordinance. Um, that, that would be my, my encouragement to people who might find themselves in like, wait, I've been taking communion all this time and I haven't been baptized yet. What do I do now? I would say, well, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, that's kind of a real thing, right? Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I had someone stop me one time uh, at a church and say, I, I don't feel like you appreciate me even being here. I feel like I'm unwanted. Mm. Uh, because when you talk about baptism, you talk about it as an act of obedience and an ordinance of Christ. And the fact that I'm not interested in being baptized makes me feel unwanted or lesser. And when you talk about the ordinance of initiation and continuation at communion, you make me feel like I shouldn't be taking communion. Mm. And I think my, my quick answer to that is, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? Yeah. Right? Like, why not? Why not be baptized? Yeah. Um, I, when I, this, this, is, this is how I have that conversation with people. When we commit to Christ, what we say is, no longer my way, your way. I'm dying to myself to my preconceived notions of right and wrong from this point onward, enlighten me with your Holy Spirit in your way. Mm. Your first opportunity in that is baptism, Mm -hmm. right? Let's kick this thing off right, Mm -hmm. right? But to say, hey, I'm going to, from here on out, put my ideas aside and follow you now, not your first step, but I'll pick up after that, mm-hmm. right? And, and to be perfectly fair, I, I know that, uh, that our association with the Gospel Coalition means that we have uh, the Christian Reformed Church brothers that, uh, that follow and, and Presbyterians. To that, I, I would also say that's why I don't think that confirmation is the same thing. Right? Like a lot of people come to me and be like, well, I've been baptized and then I went through confirmation. So I've stated this I'm like, yeah, but if, if we're going to say not my way, but Christ, then shouldn't that include our initiation mm. being his way? Yeah. Cause he doesn't talk about confirmation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, that's why I would say to that person, Hey, let's just be baptized. Right. Regardless of it. it Sometimes it comes down to, but I've been in the church so long, it would be embarrassing to get baptized. Mm. Like people would look and say, oh, you've never been baptized. I can't believe that. Mm. Right. What a beautiful opportunity to set aside our pride. Yeah. To follow through in this thing that Christ has called us to. Mm. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's an encouragement to the body. Right. But, but getting back to the, the idea of the Lord's Supper, right? So, so what, we are, what we are doing, we're, we're following a pattern that's laid out in Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as, um, you know, frequency goes, different churches do different things. Um, mm-hmm. Some do it, you know, weekly. We do it monthly. Um, there are some churches I've heard that do it like quarterly or biannually. Um, the fifth Sunday of every month is what I grew it, up doing yeah, in the Southern yeah, Baptist sure. Church. Yeah, so so there there is you know there's discussion upon um, frequency. Um, I would say to that, you know, my personal opinion is there's not an explicit um, there's not an explicit command as far as frequency, but it seems to me that the more often the better. Um, mm-hmm. As often as you gather, 
do this in remembrance of like uh, the, so that to me it seems as though um that that we should be doing it as often as we gather as a preferable option um yeah, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you for a second okay uh oh i'm gonna stop you for a second yeah it doesn't say as often as you gather do this in remembrance of me it says so long as you eat or drink do this in remembrance of me oh you're right i'm sorry and when uh and, and when it talks about it, it says and when they gathered right it, it doesn't it doesn't say right and when they gathered weekly they did this or and when they, because at the same time they were gathering daily yeah right um and so so yeah frequency frequency is always going to be uh something talked about i i agree that it's something that we should be excited to do on a regular basis mm -hmm. uh what that looks like is going to play out differently in a lot of churches frequency isn't talked about elements are talked about mm -hmm. um you know the bread and the cup the mm -hmm. three elements three elements the bread the wine and the gathering yeah right so uh the bread I, i'm gonna put I, i'm gonna say that i put a little bit of emphasis on this um i changed over my last church from just sort of white bread to unleavened bread i think the kind of bread matters because there's biblical symbolism to the unleavened nature of the bread right not just a historical accuracy. If, if it was the idea of historical accuracy, because at that point, everyone wants to come in and say, oh, well, well then shouldn't the, the grape juice actually be alcoholic because that's what they would have used? I'd say, yes, but this is not about historical accuracy. This is about biblical, this is about accuracy in biblical symbolism, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing, there's nothing that is a teaching. There's nothing metaphorical or expressive in the cup being... Uh, containing alcohol but there is something in the bread not containing yeast mm. right uh so i would say unleavened bread is a, a necessity but then again if i went to a church that was you know using loafed bread i wouldn't be like oh you call that communion i call that sin uh that it's not it's not to that degree it's just I think that's the best way to go about it in the most biblical way. It's, it's, um, it's, pre it's the preferable option, right? Yeah. Just like I, my, my opinion is that the preferable option of frequency is more frequent. Um, but again, mm -hmm. we have to be, we have to be careful that we're not, yeah. Uh, misquoting scripture like me. I don't know. <laughs> second, second, I was quoting second opinions or something. I don't know where I got that phrase as often as you gather. That might be from, that might, that be, might be from, from is this a 1689 i grew up no i grew up in catholic school oh yeah so it might be something that was said during the mass that's just yeah. stuck in my brain so i apologize <laughs> to our listeners for that <laughs> yeah so so i think i think the the bread is more than an opinion though i, I think the bread is is symbolic that christ's sinlessness uh when people press really hard about wanting alcohol i i always think those cups are so small <laughs> if you need that little that little shot of of wine, which is not a potent alcohol in and of itself, then then maybe maybe you don't need this to be alcohol. Uh, but I, I went to a church when we were missionaries in Lima, and they did the whole like the inner two rings were were actual wine, and the outer ring was grape juice, okay. so that everyone because the whole church was based on everyone having sort of like uh, dial in your own 
church kind of uh, practices thing. It was very much trying to cater to everyone. And we always sat in the balcony because Analia was such a baby that uh, not figuratively, literally, right? literally less than 11 months old. She was uh, actually a baby. And so we, we wanted to be able to dip out really quickly if we needed to. And by the time the communion tray got to us, there was always only ever that outer ring of, <laughs> of the great Jesus. I was like, what's, what's the difference here? Interesting historical fact about that. When the temperance movement gained a lot of steam, particularly in, in Baptist and Methodist circles in like the mm-hmm. late hundreds early 1900s that's when welches came on the scene and welches exists because they were the substitute for alcoholic wine that was used at communion and we really? do use yeah. welches it's actually yeah. great. and we still use welches we right? still use it. also also very interestingly in uh in scandinavian baptist circles uh at least the ones that i've visited and been a part of uh mm-hmm. they are teetotalers right yep. uh any, any consumption of alcohol at any degree is, uh, is sin, drunkenness. Uh, and yet, they use alcohol in communion. Interesting. Um, so I, I asked, I tried to find like the best way that I could ask through a translator and not come across as the guy, you know, being like calling you out, but just being curious. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and their point was in sort of like this transubstantiation kind of uh, morphing of elements that uh, at, at least the pastor that I talked to, that it's no longer alcoholic uh, once you partake of it um, because of the, the prayer and everything. Oh, uh, but yeah, yeah, interesting stuff there. The other element is the body, the mm. gathered people, right? The assembly. This is why we don't do um, small group communion. Um, because the gathered body together, uh, matters. Um, and, and there's, there's also something about, you know, the, the elders, pastors and elders of the church being present in that, um, as, you know, representing, uh, the, the heads of the church in a way that, that not legitimizes it, but proves the gathering. Um, which is, and, and in all of this COVID, we've got lots of friends, really good friends that are doing from home communion. Um, mm-hmm. but we're not because virtual gathering is not gathering. Yeah. Um, and, and so when we gather, we will start figuring out ways to do communion, uh, in a socially distanced and safe kind of way. Right. But until then, we're just going to mourn, uh, the fact that we're missing out on communion. Yeah. Yeah, this this idea of of not doing communion in smaller groups has been something that I've really struggled with in my um, years growing up. I have been to churches that practiced it quite frequently. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of small groups, every time they gathered, it was an element. Um, or or if the lesson of that small group particularly dealt with the cross, um, it was an element that was brought in um, on worship nights where it was often a more uh, you know low key prayerful atmosphere communion was often an element um and i and the idea that the authorities in the church the elders would be present is uh is something that is relatively new to me um the idea that communion is um not not forbade in context without them but that it would be important with them um that the elders would be there to witness it and to make sure 
that it was happening in a way that was scripturally um, appropriate. Yeah, I personally, I would actually, I would be uncomfortable with uh, communion or baptism happening without uh, pastor slash elder involvement, um, just because the the role of pastors and elders, um, which you know we may have discussed before, is there, there's less distinction there than than maybe we we see in our modern context. Um, it's it's to them to minister to the body, mm-hmm. and so serving communion, uh, performing baptism. Um, is something that, that for me, I, I lean more on the, on the end of the spectrum that says, you know what, if there's not elders there, um, we shouldn't be baptizing people. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be taking communion. Um, but I'm, I'm also kind of 1689 guys. So <laughs> I'm a little yeah. bit more strict that way. And for those of you that don't know, cause I, I would, I would bet that not that I would bet I'm Baptist, but I would, <laughs> that's right. I, I would think, I would think that, there's got to be a really high number. Like I, I want to put a number on this. I, I would say maybe 85 to 90% of Baptists don't even know that there's a Baptist confession of the faith that we think that uh, all of those like old confessions, like the Westminster and the Heidelberg and all that kind of stuff is for, uh, for main lines. And, uh, and that we just sort of do our own thing very independently. I think Baptist autonomy has sort of pushed in that direction, but there is a 1689 London confession of the Baptist faith. And, uh, and, and I would say in that, to the idea of the, the oversight of the pastors and elders, there, there's really two reasons in this. And, and I don't want any of them to come across as sort of this hierarchical thing, right? Like if I'm not there, it's not communion. Right. Right. Uh, because I'm what makes it communion right. because I'm not right. Um, but as the church, the role of the elders, the functioning role of the elders primarily is the teaching of sound doctrine and guarding against false doctrine. Mm-hmm. That's from First Timothy and Titus, right? Mm-hmm. Teaching, the doc- teaching of sound doctrine, guarding against false doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so presence of elders in those scenarios gives a good place for us to be able to say, we're pretty sure that what went on is in accordance with sound doctrine and not false doctrine Mm -hmm. Uh, to which there would be a lot of people say, so you don't trust your small groups to know any better than to just fall into heresy. And and that's not the case either. Right. Uh, So to that, what I would say is the other thing that having pastors and elders presence present does is it sort of proves the breadth of gathering, right? Mm -hmm. That this is the church come together the church's leaders, uh, the church, the body of the church, all come together for a corporate practice of this corporate ordinance, mm-hmm. right? And if you if you have communion without your leaders represented, you you don't have. It, it would be the same as having communion with at an elders meeting, sure, right? It's not a representation of the body of believers mm-hmm. at your local church, yeah. right? It's a subsection mm-hmm. within the church. Yeah. That's why, that's why we don't do it at youth groups, yeah. right? It's only a subsection. It's not the church gathered. Um, and, and that's what I believe the ordinance of communion to be about. Mm. Um, so that's, that's why I would, I would say 
pastors and elders need to be present, not because we turn uh, a small snack into a, uh, a holy ceremony, mm. um, but because it is just representation of what it means for the entire church to be gathered. You have to have leaders uh, and the body together. Mm. Um, personally on this, I'm pretty Zwinglian when it comes to uh, communion. Uh, that's to say, I believe that it is simply a ceremony, but no simple ceremony. It requires all of the reverence uh, that we can muster as we come before God to say, thank you for what you are, con- for the relationship that you have communed with us individually and brought us together corporately in your communion that you you are the head of this body but ultimately it is not an not a sacrament it is a ceremony right that we do not to gain grace and favor with god but in remembrance of him a memorial yeah yeah we we kind of reject the roman catholic doctrine of transubstantiation that that the, the elements actually become the literal body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, Catholic do- Roman Catholic doctrine actually teaches that at every mass, Christ is in a sense re-sacrificed by right. the priest. So his body is rebroken, His blood is re-poured out so that those people who have committed sin since the last time they took the Lord's Supper might be re-washed, might be refilled with the, the things of Christ. And that just goes starkly against the scriptural principle that Christ died once for all. And is yeah, now- I was going to say it would be that that could easily be cleared up if only the Bible had said something like Christ is our once and for all sacrifice. Yeah. And those who continue to sin, what are they, are they putting Christ back on the cross? Yeah. Uh, right. If only, if only there were scripture passages to if that. If only we could lean on Christ and saying this is that why, it, is, it is completed. It is finished. And, right, and, it's finished. And this is why the kind of the universality uh, of the Roman dominance of the church in the West was disrupted with the printing press and increased literacy rates. Because as soon as right. people started reading the Bible themselves in their own language, they realized, oh, this is wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, like they're, they're, there's, they're, they're not coincidental. Like we need to examine why and how we do things uh, by the scriptures, obviously. All right, boys, we're banging up against an hour here. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to throw in on uh, one of these three topics before we close it up? Um, the once. idea of, of reverence, the idea right. of reverence in, in communion is something that, uh, often comes up particularly in musical circles. Um, mm-hmm. the idea that you would be somber in communion is something that's quite often challenged in evangelical circles. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not necessarily a sad thing that Jesus died for us. It's, it's a celebratory thing that we, uh, have received new life and get to follow his example. Um, But at the same time, if you're not able to communicate the the importance um, in the way that you go about handling the the ceremony of communion, uh, then you're missing a large portion of why it exists. Mm. Right. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. So so if your culture, and, and I would argue that North American culture isn't this way, recognizes uh, the importance of events by large celebration, it would be appropriate to do communion in that way. But we don't, we don't ever do that. We don't celebrate 
um, important events necessarily by dancing and singing. I have never been to a grad high school graduation, a relatively important event where everyone in the everyone in the room gets up and starts dancing and singing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a patient, carefully considered with, you know, carefully considered words, um, kind of event. And I would not equate high school graduation with communion, but the idea that as a culture, we recognize important events in a certain way. So right. we should have our worship services reflect how our culture, uh, looks at these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to throw, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Marshall. I was going to say, so like, whether we do it, you know, you have complete silence or you play some music or whatever you might have. The, the one key element that transcends our culture versus other cultures is this, is that we need to be able to examine ourselves in that time. Mm-hmm. Right? As long as there's an opportunity for self-reflection uh, amongst the congregation, um, we just want to make sure that we're not inhibiting that because that, again, is, is something that is um, that I believe is pretty clearly spelled out. Um, when it comes to how we are to um, partake of the Lord's Supper is that self-reflection. So that can be done in different ways in different contexts, but that has to happen. Yeah, there's, there's this, maybe this is a new thing uh, or a newer thing. Quiet moments really only get defined uh, in one of two ways, either somber or boring, mm. right? Uh, uh, and and I, and I would say if I was going to throw a word on what the mood needs to be, I would say meditative, mm. right? That this is this is not quiet because it's somber, and and I don't fear the quietness because of boredom, right? Like if if people are worried that it's just too quiet and they're going to lose the crowd, then one you don't understand what's going on here, mm. and two, you might need to preach the importance of this to your crowd right? Like something needs to be learned here. And, and so I, I would say meditative in that we have opportunity and space to examine our own hearts and to examine what it means to commune with Christ and to receive this together. Uh, so yeah, yeah, mood matters. And, and then after that, you want to dance and sing? Sweet. Yeah, we, we have time for that. We, right. we make portion to specifically be excited about the salvation, right? But we don't, we don't dance. Well, no, not, not, yeah. not, hey, I, not sway. I do a little, sweat. that's, we don't dance because that's the B in NBC. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist church in Stratford, Ontario in cooperation with the gospel coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker next time. See ya. Bye-bye.